Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, and who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to his neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Psalm 15. Welcome to King Me Ministry Podcast, where we want to take God's Word and we want to use that as the basis for an understanding and definition of what it means to be a true man. We want to celebrate men who get it right. We want to equip those men who want to, but don't know how. And we want to use uh, our talents and our treasures to stand in the gap for those young men who have neither. And if you guys are enjoying this podcast, I'm going to ask you to give me a rating and a ranking and share it if you think somebody else might benefit from it. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. As a kid, I remember building a bunch of forts and treehouses with my buddies. Lots of them. Some were in trees, others were behind concrete walls, and one was under our apartment porch where we all lived. And that's, that's the one where I may or may not have gotten my first kiss. Each of those forts looked different. Some of them had furniture and others didn't. Some had sophisticated entrances and others were open and in plain sight. But one thing was consistent. We all agreed that to gain entrance into that special fort, you needed to know the secret password. And not much has changed, really. We use passwords every day, all day. You need a password to access your computer, your iPad, your email, your online banking, and even to get into your phone. Passwords protect and ensure that only those with the proper credentials have access. And as I study Psalm 15, what I discover is David is doing that exact same thing. He's saying, God, what's the password to a life with you? And King David is not talking about eternity or one day in heaven. David is asking about the here and now. God, what does a man look like who is going to follow you? What attributes, what characteristics are going to define this man who has access to who you are? And it seems to me that King David is meditating on what that man looks like. And while there's no definitive proof, so I'm not making a claim here, But the occasion for this psalm is often related to a story found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And and King David is the new king of Israel, and in his excitement, he he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. This Ark is a a symbol of God's presence with Israel. It contained the, the tablets of the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from the mountain. But David does this with excitement, and he doesn't show the proper respect by following God's clear commands to Moses and his people of how the ark was to be moved. David just puts it on a cart and, and brings it into, into Israel. And in doing so, the, the, the cart stumbles and it moves. And, and one of David's men reach out his hands to, to steady the ark. And God is so offended by that, that God strikes this man dead. And of course, this brings some serious fear into David. And with this disaster, David pauses and he doesn't bring the ark into the city for three months. But after hearing that God has 
has bestowed blessings on the family of the household that was holding the ark, David did some research and he discovered the expectations God had laid out and he carried them out to a T. And the journey of the ark into the city of David happened. God's word is is clear. He said, the only way to transport this ark is for it to be carried by these certain people and in this certain manner. And David must have considered long and hard who to select to carry that ark in an effort not to offend God. And he's thinking, what should that man look like in God's eyes? And I love that David asks this question of God. He doesn't consult a man or a group of men, and he certainly doesn't ask the world. Entrance into heaven and into a relationship with God is not going to be a majority vote decided by a group of your peers. God is the only standard and the only voice that matters on what it takes to be in a right relationship with Him. And of course, we know that we are only in a right relationship with Him through faith in the finished work of Jesus. But David is like, what should a man who is responding to that free gift, what should he look like? What should be the marks of this man? I've said this before, and I'll say it now. I think that the greatest stories that you and I get to read and see, uh, even the Hollywood stories, those great stories that stick out on our mind, those, those steal from a grander story. Those steal from the story of God. And one of my favorite movies of all times is The Kingdom of Heaven. And in that, you have a father and a son, and the father is initiating, recognizing his son. And he says this, this is his quote, and it feels so much like Psalm 15 to me. But Godfrey says to his son, he says, be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death, and safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. That is your oath. And then, of course, the father backhands his son right across the face, and he says, and this is so that you will remember it. And then he says, arise, a knight. I don't have any proof, but there's no doubt that that was stolen from David and David's desire to know what it's like to walk in a, in a manner that's worthy of what God has done for us. Now, David, in all of his triumphs and great failures, he lived a posture of a man that wanted God, not the benefits of God, not, not the idea of heaven one day, not even God's protection and provisions, though he asked for those repeatedly. But a study of his life shows you that he wanted God. He wanted to live in a constant proximity to Almighty God. And of course, centuries later, God confirms that David was indeed this man. He was a man after the heart of God. And so for me, Psalm 15 has always served as a heart checkup. You know, today I went for my, my annual physical and the doctor gave me a good thumbs up, blood pressure's good, no, no issues. Um, but Psalm 15, for me, has always been a spiritual checkup. Am I the man that I must be to dwell close to God? What, what should I look like in response to all that he's done for me? And I would love to know how David came up with the answers to this question that he posed in verse 1. Did he sit for a long time? Did he already have that in his brain? Did he ask advice of, of other people that knew God's word and the covenant that was made? I've spent some of my own time really looking at David's answers, 
and trying to come up with what does that mean to me as I seek to walk in this true relationship with God? What does it mean? And so as I look at verse two, and it says, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous. And immediately I'm like, well, I disqualify. I guess that's over. But the more I think about this and the more I look at what God requires for a response to what he's done, I, I see that God is looking for somebody who's walking in, in the direction of what's right, somebody that's hungry to know how I should respond and how I should be, not necessarily looking for perfection, but he's looking for somebody who's progressing in a direction towards him. And if you, if I think back to my younger days of being a Christian, I, I had a, a pastor mentor who said, he says, you know, following Christ is like a it's like a coin. It's either on heads or it's tails. And you can't have it on heads and tails at the same time, saying that you can either be following towards God and, and hate the sin that you used to love and, and partake in, or you can be walking away from God and, and making excuses and making provisions to do the same things that you know displease God. So as I look at that, that first step, Am I walking in a direction towards God? It, does my life look like Jesus? John the disciple says this. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And I think the key word in John's verse and in David's verse is walk. What direction are you walking in? Are you walking towards a relationship with God? Or are you walking away from a relationship with God? And David goes on to say that he who speaks the truth from his heart, and I know this, you know, Jesus says it in the New Testament. He says that out of the overflow of your heart, that's where the evil comes from that comes out of your mouth. I once heard it said that whatever's down in your well, that's going to come out in your buckets. Whatever's down in your heart is going to find a way out of your mouth. And David is making it very clear that, that it's truth that should come from our mouth, that we should guard our mouth unless we're speaking truth. And I wrote it in my Bible that, that flattery is included in this, that do you, do you use words to tickle people's ears or do you truly want to tell them the truth? David tells us clearly what a person should be like in their speech. But he also says this, he says, whose tongue utters no slander. So a, a man of God or a person who's seeking to, to walk in close proximity to God will speak truth, but they'll also remove from their speech slander. That's backbiting, that's gossip, that's any form of language that we use that potentially can harm another person. I find this backbiting idea, this gossip, to be one of the greatest sins that exists in the church today. Uh, not necessarily just because of its power, but how quickly we excuse it and how quickly we allow ourselves to be a part of it. What I find interesting in studying this word slander, if you look at the words for that used in the Old Testament, you're, you basically come up with this idea that that word slander means to spy it out. It's the idea of, of an enemy who's in your camp and learns something about you, finds out some information, and then is telling other people what they've learned. We, as, as people that want to be close in proximity to God, 
must rein our tongues in. We must have a high expectation for those that are inviting us into those conversations, because what we do as Christians is we just typically slap that label on the end of our gossip and said, you know, let's, hey, let's just keep this between the two of us. Um, but we have to have a high expectation of ourselves and what other people, if people are gossiping to us about other people and the information that they've spied out from that person, first red flag should be, I bet they're probably doing the same thing with me. So we must have that high expectation of ourselves and those people that we surround ourselves with that their tongues are, are, are intentional in what they say, that they, they speak truth and they bring no slander to conversations and to relationships. Walking with God is definitely more than the direction of our lives, walking towards God and away from sin. It's deeper than how we use our words. Are we speaking truth and love? And, and are we refraining from, from slander? David goes on to say that how we treat people is important too. It's, it's a reflection of our intimacy with God. He says, Who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the message when he talks about the golden rule. He says, this is what you do. You've got to decide ahead of time how you want people to treat you. And then you're going to go ahead and go first and treat them that way. This is another one of those virtues that can be a bit tricky. I find it easy to treat people who show me respect with respect. I find it easy to treat people with dignity who I perceive to be worthy of that. They are my equal or they're above me. Um, but where I really struggle is when somebody cuts me off, when somebody slights me, when somebody doesn't notice that I did something kind for them. And I just start putting them, at least even mentally, in their place. Like, they're not worthy of my respect next time. They're not worthy of that gift. And Jesus makes it clear through his ministry that if, you were to, if you're going to follow him, you're going to treat people the way he did. He forgave quickly. He didn't wait around to see if somebody was going to be worthy of his respect and his kindness and compassion. He had decided that everybody is going to be treated that way because that's the kingdom of God. And that's what God desires is for people to, to walk in love, to walk with these short accounts of, of things between them. I think it was the gospel of Mark that records it and says that even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when I take a look at this, this chapter and these verses particularly, it doesn't take me long to understand and be able to evaluate if I'm following after God, if I'm seeking to be close to Him. I, I know right away how I've been treating people. And when I'm treating them right, I do feel the closeness of God, like it's His approval. And in times when I choose to treat people less than they are, I can feel that distance creep up. God's expectations are clear. He expects us to love people, actively love. He expects us to have compassion on those people. He expects us to, to be quick to forgive people. Those are the marks of a person that's seeking after God. The next part of David's psalm says that we should despise a vile person, but we should also honor those who fear the Lord. And we live in a society where those are reversed, right? We seem to honor those who are vile. Who, whose agenda is, is very unlike God, and we minimize the importance of those who really, truly are seeking to follow God. I'm not sure how many times I've made that same mistake where 
you see this athlete like Tiger Woods just, you know, light years ahead of his competition. And you just, you love the tenacity, you love the focus. And yet you see his behind the scenes behavior and your heart just breaks. And you, you see the same thing with, with actors. I've seen the same thing personally with preachers who they seem like they have the world in the palm of their hands. And yet if you follow them and see their lives, they're, they're just not living the way that they say they are. And, and somebody aptly said once that, you know, you can do a lot of great things with sand, but building a house on it is not a good idea. And I think that that's really what David is saying here. People are just like you and I. They're fickle. We make mistakes. Do not idolize those that that are living for this world and for this life, but really seek out. And if you're going to edify anybody, if you're going to if you're going to put anybody on a pedestal, let it be somebody whose heart is sold out to God, whose life, actions, and word reflect what they say they believe about Almighty God. And sometimes I read this psalm, and it's like skiing down a really tough section of a mountain, and you get through that section only to realize that the next section is just as tough, maybe even tougher. David says that a man who's going to follow God is a man who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Just this morning, I'm reading in Mark 4, where Jesus says to his disciples, let's just go to the other side of the lake. And so they all get in this boat. Uh, they're halfway across. Remember, these are fishermen. They're, they're used to the water and they're used to storms. But Jesus takes a, a nap and this massive storm comes up and they, and they shake him awake. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? And so Jesus stands up, he calms the wind, he calms the rain. And of course, these disciples are like, holy smokes, who is this that even the wind and the rain obey him? But Jesus says, he says, how do you have such little faith? And when I look at that, I'm like, I, I probably wouldn't have much faith either. But what Jesus is, is, is establishing here is when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, it's not, it's not an idea. It's not an attempt. When Jesus says something, we can take heart and know that it's going to happen. And that's exactly what God would expect from us, that we, that we reflect that character of Jesus, that when we say we're going to do something, we're man enough to, to keep that promise, even when it hurts, even when it costs us something that we didn't, we didn't anticipate, but our word means something. We live in a world now where everything has to be notarized. We have to have it witnessed. There was once a day, and I think those are the days that brought God the most glory, the, the days when a man's word was his bond. What he said was what he was going to do. And I believe that God is still looking for those men and inviting those men to walk closer to him. God help us to be men that keep our word even when it hurts. David then makes it clear that a man who follows God lends his money without interest and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. And you may be surprised to know that God cares what you do when it comes to money. He cares who you are when it comes to this concept of money. And having preached more than a few times on money and its place in a Christian's life, I can attest to how people often will squirm a bit when that sermon topic comes up. But God cares, and so should those who follow him. And if you're a parent, you already know this. I'd say it's safe to say that you care how your child spends their money. It's your job to teach the value and role of money in their lives. And God treats his children no different. He places guardrails for us not to be ruled by money, 
and for us to steward the money that he gives to us. And David explains here that one of God's great expectations is that we lend our money without interest. And that means exactly what it says. If you see a brother in need and you have the resources to help that brother, don't require more back than you lent him. God doesn't want you to get rich or wealthier off the back of somebody who's just in need for a season. And that next part about not accepting a bribe against the innocent, well, I can say that mostly just skip, I just skip over that part. Uh, nobody seems to be handing out bribes for me to pervert justice, so I pretty much just process that pretty quickly and move on. In processing that this week, it hit me. How many times have I remained silent in the face of injustice in this world? I've told my sons repeatedly, if you are at the grocery and you witness three men attacking a woman in the parking lot and you do nothing to help her out of self-preservation or fear and you come home and tell me about that, that's not going to go over well. I shared pretty early on in this podcast journey uh, something that happened to me when I was a child and, and at the hands of somebody who should have protected me and, and told me more about God and how that person hurt me. And dealing with that organization even now and, and trying to really make sure that this doesn't happen or the person that's responsible for that no longer has access to kids. And what I'm finding is this organization, one of their great leaders of our time said this, anything that offends and makes a man, woman, boy or girl less than what God intended, well, that's a war and that's a battle that we're willing to fight. But that very organization has countless times thrown money at victims of abuse at the hands of their own people. And when they have had the opportunity to stand up, take responsibility, and do everything in their power to remove those people from leadership and access to kids, they have repeatedly chosen to bribe victims and pervert justice by going so far as to blocking the authorities from removing this evil from among us. David makes it pretty clear. God expects better from those that follow him. God is not okay with people that are going to turn the other way and look away from the evil that is happening. God is a just God, and he expects us to be the same way. And so there you have it. David asks this question of who can walk with God? What's the password? What's the secret entrance to a life spent with fellowship with God? And then he answers that question. And he gives us a list of things that will mark a man who's bent on following close after God. He says, that man's life will show clear evidence that he's walking towards God. He's learning and responding to God's goodness and his holiness. He's a man who guards his words. He takes inventory of how he treats other people. If it's within his power to help somebody, he does it and he refuses to make money off someone else's hard times. That man also values people who seek after God and see the emptiness of those that live just for this life. He's a man with a high sense of justice, and he refuses to look the other way. And David concludes by saying this, he who does these things will never be shaken, period. The world can and will throw some things at us, but we will never be shaken. We will walk this life right into the next in fellowship with Almighty God. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. Your word really is a light unto my path. 
that allows me to see where I'm going. Your word constantly lays my life next to it and it evaluates it. It shows me where I'm missing the mark. It shows me where I'm growing. It shows me your grace and your goodness and your faithfulness towards me. And I just want to thank you for that word. And I pray, God, that it, you ever expanded in my understanding, that I would know it more and more and more. And in that word, I would see who you are and that I would fall deeper in love with you. Thank you again, God, for this heart check. It's not always easy to read and see where I fall short, but I know when I fall short that I can fall into your arms, and I know that you deal with me gently, kindly. You are quick to forgive. You give without expecting anything back. You are amazing. You are worthy of our adoration, our attention. Thank you so much. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I know it's not always easy to look at God's Word sometimes. It really just kind of gets under our skin and really exposes who we are. Uh, but its intent is always to rebuild us. As D.L. Moody said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. It's almost as if the enemy knows what's at stake and he knows that the Bible will read us and will guide us and will introduce us to our Creator and the one who loves our soul and who has gone to the ends of the earth to prove that. I pray that God bless you. I pray that you continue, continue to walk with Him, continue to let His Word shine in your life. May God have His way with you, and may you bring glory to God. <laughs>